welcome back to Blind Love Radio. I am your host, Anna Rosen, and today I have a super fun guest on the podcast. I have Lisa Fazio, and oh my gosh, you guys, she is just a wonder. She is an herbalist, she is an astrologer, she practices Italian folk magic, and I am obsessed with her. I know you guys are going to be obsessed with her. So you can find and connect with her on Instagram at The Root Circle. And you can book any sessions with her there. And we go over such a wide variety of topics in this conversation. We talk about herbalism and astrology and dream healing and Italian folk magic rituals and connecting to your ancestors and oh my gosh like what a blessing to have her on the podcast and share all of this amazing information that she has um ah such a gift such a fun talk and definitely to get more of her because I know you'll want to she's so smart check out her podcast that she just started it's called wild under root And my voice is like cracking because I've tried to record this intro like 17 times and Mercury Retrograde is like just shutting me down every single time and kicking my patootie. So this is it, guys. I think I got everything in there. I'm just going to roll right into this convo. Um, And I love you guys. Also, if you have a minute and you could tap five stars and rate and review this podcast it would mean so much to me and I'll send you so many good vibes they're already out there waiting for you and that's it guys I love you sending you lots of love and smooches oh also shout out to the rainbow girls for our intro song and it's a cover of down home girl Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with them. Rainbow Rainbow Girls. I like can't talk. Rainbow Girls. Rainbow Girls. Yes, queens. You're killing it. All right, guys. Enjoy this talk with Lisa. Smooches. Mwah. So go ahead and introduce yourself to all of our lovely listeners. I am Lisa Fazio, and I am a folk herbalist in the Adirondack foothills. I'm also an astrologer and a writer and a few other things. Oh my God, I love all of those things. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't pick one. Totally. So what are your astrology signs? I am a Libra sun. I'm actually a multiple Libra. I'm like a Libra sun, Uranus, Mercury with a stellium with um, in the 11th house. A lot of Libra. And then um, Aquarius moon. Mm. 
So there's a lot of air in my, in my, in my being. And then Scorpio rising. Ooh, me too. You, oh, really? Yes. Awesome. And wow, we have the same last name and the same rising sign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Soul sisters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So do you think all the air is where like the writing comes in for you? Well, <laughs> the, the, the ideas and the vision and the insight that I get is it comes through the air. The writing is actually the hard part because it requires that I actually have the discipline to write. It's like the routine of doing it. It's the routine or um, the, so I don't, I actually think the error is a detriment <laughs> mm. in, in that. But um, with Aquarius, one of the nice things about Aquarius is it's fixed air. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the modes. Mm -hmm. So there's cardinal and mutable. And fixed is um, the one that really helps with structure. And I have that in my Aquarius moon in my third house, which is communication. Ooh, that's a good one. So the third house is how I think, talk, and speak. So I can, in Aquarius, is basically conducted through electricity, and and so it is can be a, a, an air conduit. Mm -hmm. So that part helps, but so really. what do you like to write? Um, oh, I'm hearing noises in the background here. That's sorry. Um, I like I like to write poetry. Yes. So that's my probably my and I, I like to write poetry. I like to write nonfiction. And I want to write fiction, but I definitely that is not my strength. I love fiction, but what have you written about like nonfiction? So I've written a couple of books or books that I've self-published. I have Stirring the Cauldron of Winter, which is a winter herb book. And I wrote a book on female reproductive health, which that one's out of print because I want to revise it. And... I have written some articles about, so my main themes I'd say are obviously plants because I'm a plant person, plant medicine person. And then um, place, community making and place making, social justice for sure is a big topic. And then, um, astrology, what I call magic. So I kind of put that under the magic heading of which is a word to be defined. What's your whole take with like 2020 and all of the crazy astrology? 
I mean, I think it matches with what we're seeing, what we're observing in the world. Ah, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it, it is scary. And I, and I feel like there's always, there's a part of us that says, that knows, I think all of us know that this is right. This is part of a natural cycle. But there is also, it's a, a destructive or or a de-evolutionary phase. Um, I was recently reading an article, and I can't remember who the author of the article was, but she was talking about ecology in terms of the idea of it being, of the ecology being a system. She was basically saying it's not actually a system, that it is something else, but that we're on the back loop of an ecological cycle. So we're in the descent phase the spiral the spiral but you know the the upcoming transits so basically we're talking about tra- the transits in this in the in the sky seem right on to me and and yeah i think we have a lot of choices in that right like what do we do with it what do we do with it is the big is the big question. And I think probably it's going to be different for everybody. Totally. So how did you get into herbs? So I got into herbs. This is the million dollar question. Everybody asks. I got into herbs through a series of coincidences and synchronicities that were not planned by me. And it kind of looked like I had, I was a young mother with two little kids and uh, I was pregnant. And I had had a lot of chronic illness myself as a child. I had had asthma and some other, some other just chronic things. And so had a lot of you know, stuff I was dealing with myself, with my health on a daily basis. This is like when I was like 21, 22. And then one of my children had chronic ear infections. Oh my God, me too. And so we did not have health insurance. And we were going through the antibiotic repetition. And then finally they said, well, you have to go to an, an ENT, an ear, nose, throat specialist. You have to take her. And we went to the ear, nose, throat specialist. And he said, well, she needs tubes in her ears at the cost of, I mean, this was 19. So expensive. So expensive. And I had had a friend who had been into homeopathy a little bit. And then um, some another friend had said, oh, you can put garlic oil in her ears oh my god and and so then we you know i started exploring plus i had known people whose kids got who had gotten tubes in their ears and they still had ear infections yeah and and then after that so we kind of started in that direction um a there was an herb class by a local woman down the road who was a nurse turned herbalist and I started taking classes with her and then another herbalist moved into the community who, um, whose name is Kate Gilday. Some 
some people are familiar with her and she, her company's Woodland Essence. She moved into our area and basically took me on as her apprentice. Ah, how perfect. <laughs> and, and then I started working for her company, her herb company. And, and then I, I, and then a friend of hers, who's Jean Argus of Jean's Greens, which is another herbal company. Jean's since passed, but she also moved to the area and she hired me to work in her gardens and, and stuff. So I just, it just became consumed my life more or less. <laughs> and yeah. So did the garlic oil work? Yes. Wow. So the garlic oil worked. And I mean, this was really like, we went to the nearest health food store, which is about 40 minutes away and bought garlic oil capsules. Not the unscented ones. You don't want to get the deodorized ones and poked a hole in it and just started putting it in her ears. And she never had another ear infection. Oh my God. And we did other things too. So I started studying, you know, what we were eating. We, we stopped dairy. And, and so then I started doing these things for myself as well. And, you know, worked on my asthma, which is more or less gone. And what'd you do for that? Um, that's, you know, again, many things. And, and I feel like that's an important part of this in terms of what we call herbal medicine is that at first it seemed like it was this herb for that thing. But as I have practiced, I realize it's not, it's really about understanding the underlying patterns and matching those patterns the person, the patterns of the person, as well as the patterns of whatever the disease or condition is with plants, but also in relationship to what people might call the sacred or, or magic or things that are unseen and sort of figuring out how we resonate with those things and then being able to change our position or relationship with them. So it wasn't one thing. I can tell you the herbs, the herbs that I used were milky oats, nettles, calendula, mullein, some really simple, common plants. I also did breath work. That was really important because I realized how closed I was in that area of my body, like that heart lung area. And yeah, so a lot of work about allowing things to flow through me. It's so interesting. It's like a whole, I just love the idea that it's like more than one. It Like the Wheel of Fortune card comes to mind where like it's not just one thing. It's like all of these things in a circle that like lead together to the like the center. It's it's mandalic. It's like yes. a man. 
There's like a little mystical element. Like you don't really know like how it's all working, but it is. That's so cool. And and there's always that mystery, which I think is good. I I like that. It's there's something unpredictable always because as we relate to things and interact with things, some there's emergent properties that come out that you don't know that you can't predict because things become, well, the word that is coming to my mind right now is intra-action, not interaction, but intra-action. And the first person that I heard this from was Karen Barrett, who's I think a physicist who explains it as when there's two functions or two elements that come together, converge, that they interact, meaning that they don't just make an exchange, that they create something other than what either of them were alone. Ooh. So to me, that's what it is. It's like when we start making relationships and those relationships create something else makes me think of all of your libra it does it yeah just like i don't know i feel like libra has always been kind of like a little bit of a mystery to me i don't have really any libra in my chart so yeah what are your signs so i'm a capricorn sun a Mm. pisces moon Oh, and Scorpio rising and I have like a stellium in Capricorn. Oh, Um, wow. So very earthy, but also like a lot of water. Right. Um, And I have a lot in the third house. Um, But so like there's a little bit of air, but not really. I don't know. The Libra thing has always been a mystery. Mm. But I love that idea of like, like two things coming together and creating something new. And it's like two or more things, two or more things. Yes. It's so, Oh my God. And then you think about like a family unit almost. And it's like this whole other thing together. Mm. It's like the power of coming together in a group. It's so cool. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. Oh, that kind of makes me think about like ancestry too. Because yeah. it's like everything that you're taking down from like your ancestors and you're manifesting it in this new way. Right. But it's like all the parts of the whole are still there. Yes. Yeah. So you're, you, it's interesting thing about ancestry in terms of biology is that your DNA has been alive, right? It has never, it, it has been a continuous living thread since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. So like every, so it went from egg, sperm to egg, sperm to egg, sperm to egg, sperm to egg, never, Never stopping, just reconfiguring. 
Yeah. And it holds so much, so much uh, trauma and so much wisdom. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you think about like dealing with ancestral trauma that you, I know like a lot of people think about that, like things that they're dealing with that their family has dealt with and now they're dealing with it, but they may not have like connection to the wisdom part, like being handed down directly. Have you like been able to like tap into that in your own way? Not necessarily like been given like direct direction on like how to deal with this. So you mean they don't have, so they, they're holding the trauma, but not. So I don't think it's possible that you just have the trauma. Right. Tell me because more. They're, they're, because they're, they're in the same place. And it's not to deny like our disconnect from our ancestral wisdom, particularly here for most of us, I mean, I think it's global, but um, my own experience here in North America on Turtle Island where my own ancestors immigrated and through forced immigration for the most part, um, in, in, and then on top of that, we're settlers and colonizers here. Um, so there's certainly a big disconnect. And I think if you don't have those connections that it's because you're not aware of them. And part of why we're not aware of them is because we have been consumed by the effects of the trauma that we're all living. But that Trauma is actually what is taking us into the deeper wisdom. Whoa. (laughs) So, so this is like, this is like an interesting thing that I've actually been realizing and thinking about a lot more lately is how the trauma, whether it's our personal trauma or ancestral trauma, whatever, cultural trauma, that discomfort and the pain and all of the manifestations and actions that we take in response to that or to try to resolve that is the very thing that is keeping us from forgetting that we are something else Mm. and that we have forgotten And so to me, and and this is the same, this goes through even in terms of herbal medicine, where the things, the the conditions that create pain in our bodies or our minds or both are actually pointing at the same place where our greatest gifts are. And there's a story that um, storyteller Michael Mead tells about this and I can't remember the 
the name of the story, but it's basically a story about how the good and the bad or the trauma and the gold are in the same place in the soul. And that when we experience feelings of pain or trauma as a result of external circumstances or internal circumstances or whatever situations that trigger that pain, it's like the horn of the boar going in to lead you to the gold. Wow. And that the gift is in the wound. And I think actually somebody else said that. Um, it's very it was- like Chiron. Like it is that- very Chiron. And actually that's where you look in the chart. So if you look at Chiron in the chart, that's where you go. That's the, the individual and sometimes gen- almost, it can be even generational, sacred wound. Mm-hmm. Where and do you so, have it? Or Aries. That, oh, Aries. Oh, so you have like a Chiron return right now. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, it's like that, 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 that's exactly where my, so it's like, ah, you know, you can kind of feel it almost. It's like, especially when you get triggered by something or there's a, a memory of pain that arises. And, and I want to be clear here that like, I think this isn't about like, um, you know, everybody's healing path is different. And I think there are times in our lives when we're more able to hold this idea of our gifts being in our wounds than others. You know, sometimes we really just have to have to deal with the immediate acute issues and get them resolved so that we can get on to dealing with our daily lives, their survival or whatever we have to do. So I just want to say that, like, this isn't a prescription, but when, when I've been able to do that, when I've been able to say, oh, what's going on here and what else is with it mm-hmm. besides just this discomfort. And, and so for me with my ancestry, I think about that and I think of my own ancestral trauma and just always knowing when I, as I was growing up and even as a little kid, I was always just just like something isn't right. You know, always just being like discontented and, and, you know, surly. And, and then, and then of course you get what compounds it is people say, Oh, smile, you know, or, you know, why are you, you know, cheer up or why are you always in it? And, you know, and so then you cut, you cover it up because you, you know, you're like, Oh, I want to be socially acceptable. But that sense that dissonance has been exactly what has driven me to seek. And now you're helping so many other people because it's in your sixth house, right? Because you're a Scorpio rising? Yes. So then it's like that Virgo quality of like helping others and the body and healing. Right. Yeah, I have mine in Cancer. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've really taken on a lot of like my maternal lineage of trauma, like things mm-hmm. that have like so clearly been handed down from like mother to mother to me. Mm. 
And but I feel like that's really like on the flip side of it, if I'm thinking about it, that sensitivity is one of my greatest gifts. Like the other side is like the intuition that comes with Mm -hmm. it. So it's so interesting to think about it that way. And it's also interesting because I was talking to my husband last night about like not shaming myself for like the problems that we have that are so like biological. Mm-hmm. Like if I have anxiety, I've noticed it like I start spiraling if I start like getting into this shame cycle about it mm-hmm. instead of just being like, it's okay. Like, you know, I'm anxious. It's fine. Right. Let me just like accept myself. And then I feel like you're totally right. Like then you're able to like tap into this whole other. It's like then the gifts are allowing to be like let in because you're not taking it up with all of this like contraction around it. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like, well, just I want to go back a minute because I heard uh, cancer. I'll just share a little bit. <laughs> There's a lot there that I, yeah. <laughs> I just put so out. Cancer, cancers, they are natural nurturers. And so that's their, that's actually their gift, right? That's like, they are, they, and they, depending on where it is in your chart and what it's in relation to, they need to. So like, like cancers need to, we can call it mother, like that archetypal mothering. What happens with cancers is they end up taking from their own wellspring to do it. And so, and then, so then they think, oh no, I can't, you know, I can't, I don't want to be mothering everybody. And the other thing about that mothering type energy is that it's been associated with the feminine and, and the feminine has been subjugated. And so also those types of behaviors themselves are shamed. Totally. It's like like a weakness. Exactly. And so, so when we like sort of like pull that, like try to pull that apart, it's like, well, first of all, there's nothing wrong with, you know, as a mother of four people and I was a stay at home mom for a long time and you know, people would say, well, what do you do? And I'd be like, I don't do anything. You know, (laughs) I I don't have a job, you know, so ridiculous to say, right. Because mothering isn't valued. And so then when you have a cancer, a person with strong cancer who like, they actually want to they need, it's a need to, and it's, they're good at it, at being that, being in that place of, of nurturing that, that can create, itself can create anxiety because it's like, oh, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Or am I supposed to be doing something more productive? Or is there yes! something else? Oh my God. <laughs> it's like so hard to like go against society being like, no, you should be doing all of these things. Like that's what's more valued. But then I'm like, no, but if I listen to my intuition, I'm supposed to rest. <laughs> and that's what happens with cancer is that they, they become almost pathological nurturers sometimes. So then nurturing becomes this like, this this dependence <laughs> and and then they're not able to set boundaries and so you know some of it for some of what helps anxiety with people with strong cancer is being 
knowing that one, you, it's okay for you to nurture. And that actually that's your gift Two, It's okay for you to set boundaries and that might be really hard for you. And that's okay too. And so then it's like, it's actually just a practice. And then the other thing I just want to say is that moon in Pisces is deeply, deeply sensitive. So sensitive. <laughs> actually three of my children have their moon in Pisces and so does my husband. Wow. I actually, I had to buy a book on how to live with Pisces. I have it on my bookshelf. That's hilarious. <laughs> what book is it? We all need it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you after when I find it out. It, it, cause, cause it's like, they're so sensitive and I don't even realize I'm hurting their feelings And my moon's in Aquarius. Right. And I have Scorpio rising. So it's just like, I, I'm like, very hey, brazen. Why, why are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> like, what did I say? That's so funny. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to say, I like, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about how that's working for you. Yeah. Yeah. You gave me a lot of insights. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, okay. So you're Italian. Half Italian. Half Italian. So I know you like talk a little bit on your Instagram about like Italian folk magic. Yes. And so what does that mean to you? How did you like explore that part of yourself? And how is that kind of unfolding? Like any thoughts around that? So, yeah, lots of thoughts, of course. Um, so my, I'm second generation Italian-American, so my Grandparents were both Italian immigrants. And so I had a lot of that cultural influence. My, my, that's my dad's side. My mom's Irish, of Irish descent. So that was, and I feel very connected to that heritage too, but it wasn't as living in my life because my grandparents were such a strong presence in my life. My grandfather lived till he was 100. He just died four years ago. Oh my goodness. So they were my best friends and um, we more on my grandmother's side of him. And I grew up in an Italian American community. Um, so a lot of the things that we're calling Italian folk magic now were either called superstitions. Totally. Or witchcraft, or in in as I'm doing this work, I'm realizing things that we just did. Mm -hmm. And maybe you, I mean, I know you're Italian American as well, so you know maybe you know some of these things. Things that like we just did, like like my dad ties a red ribbon in the car when you buy a new car, you tie a red ribbon little things like that rituals that I didn't, I just thought was what people did. <laughs> and then also things that I kind of thought were embarrassing. Mm. So there was this, this part of, and I think this is like the, the, imperative of assimilation 
in that as an Italian American, I, I kind of wanted to, I didn't want that identity for a long time because I was called names in school. And I wanted to kind of, so again, I feel like this is that, you know, that wound gift mm-hmm. thing where, um, you know, now as I got into my plant medicine, and that's really what led me into this, is as I started learning the plants, I was connecting with not only my own ancestry, but the ancestry of the plants, many of which in modern herbalism are from my ancestral homelands. Mm. So a lot of our common, like nettles, Mm. is a plant used in a lot of European medicine traditions, basil, sweet basil, basilical, which is an amazing medicinal herb also used in Italian cooking and used by people for centuries for medicine. So there's basically two names that Italian folk magic falls under here in the U.S. And one of them is Benedicaria, which means the blessing way. Oh, I love that. And that is very much linked to folk Catholicism. So that's all part of their, their sacred healing practices. And then the other one is what has been called Stregaria or Streganaria. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a word that was made up by Raven Gramassi, who's been highly criticized for his work. And I have my own critique of, but nevertheless, um, that is basically the same, uh, very similar, other than it leaves out the Catholicism. I like that. <laughs> So uh, to me, it's, you know, they're very similar, but the, the Benedicaria practitioners would never call the work that they're doing witchcraft. Right. And I find that a lot with my particular family. Like, I feel like they did all of these things, but then it's like you say the word like witch and they're like, oh my God, no, not me. And then it like, it's so interesting because it's like this thing and you can call it whatever you want, but they're still doing it. They're still doing it. It's just, <laughs> you know, to me, some of it is, um, so. I mean, it, I think it, it, they wanted to assimilate when they came over. So then I think anything that was deemed like healing or like witchy was very like swept under the rug so then they could be like more white quote unquote right and and that's where you know all of a sudden those so my my own my nona my grandmother her mother did and and her sisters she didn't herself 
but she showed me did the cures for the Malocchio. And, um, and you know, my, I remember looking at a, a picture of my great grandmother who was from Benevento. And, and I asked my grandfather, it wasn't his mother, it was his mother-in-law. And I said, who, you know, tell me about her. Cause we had a picture on our coffee table of this person I had never met. And he said, Oh, she was a witch. And, you know, I was a little kid and I was like, Oh, and he said, you know, she comes from La Chita della Strega, which is the city of witches, which is Benevento. And he would say, Mali, Ma, he would say something in his, he had a dialect that said, even the wind was bad there. And, you know, as a little kid, I, I, I guess I really didn't, I didn't know what, because my idea of witches was, was like the lady with the green nose and the black hat, you know, and I was thinking, oh, I think he means she's a, she's a bitch, you know, like, I think, <laughs> I think. I think he meant he didn't like her, that she was mean or something. And she kind of looked stern in the picture. So I, I kind of put that there. And then, and then it, I heard it through my family. And, and, they, and then there's a lot of their superstitions would come, what, what we would call superstitions would come out again. Oh, the dreams. So they had this amazing faith in different symbolism in their dreams. Oh my God. Tell me more. So, um, it, it, it actually scared. There was a couple of things that scared me when I was little that I, and again, a lot of this, I was overhearing. So you're sitting at a family dinner or table or party or whatever. And you know, my aunt Daw, we called her aunt Daw would say, well, I had a dream of this. And so I know this is going to happen. So their dream, you know, she would say this dream means this. And so, and then the whole family would say, oh, you know, and everybody like, like was like, oh, she had that dream. Oh, we know this is going to happen. <laughs> so, um, so then, you know, I, I so then I, as I, you know, went, as I'm going through life, I'm, I'm imploring more my, my Nona, like, well, what, you know, tell me more about this and the, and, and again, I lived in an Italian American community. So, you know, I remember like my friend's baby was born and her Italian grandmother called her and said, oh, you got to bring him over. He's got the Maloke. I know he's got the Maloke. You got to bring him over. <laughs> and so, you know, in my, and again, you know, you know, this is in the, what was it like early, it was late eighties and um, early nineties. And so, you know, my friend, you know, my friend didn't know what to do. Cause she was like, she didn't believe it, you know, but then at the same time, it was her grandmother. So she was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I do it. you know, and then, and so, so this was going on around me. And so, you know, I, my Nona was, when I asked her about it, I said, well, what do you do? And, you know, she said the way she explained it was, you know, you, you boil the water. So she explained the whole process to me. And then, and then you, if you have the Maloke and there's certain things that the oil does, if you have the Maloke, you take it out, you put, throw it out the door and give it to the next passerby. So whoever, um, that's harsh, <laughs> but this is true. So like I'm reading this book. Oh, this one I have right here. Is it this one? Yeah. Um, magic from the South, uh, magic, a theory from the South by Ernesto Di Martino. And he, this is trans, he, it's originally written in Italian. 
Ooh, I love that cover. And um, you can get it on Amazon or if you don't like Amazon, I I don't know where else it's available. Um, But I'm reading this that they did. They they would bring their oil and water to a cross or any of their if they anything that they cleared with and leave it at a crossroads because it was like literally like they they thought you, you basically to get rid of it you had to give it to somebody else. Um, I don't practice that. I I I, I compost my maloke. <laughs> yes, I love that. I, I couldn't. Well, then I said, so then I stopped, then I stopped putting oil in, in water for the longest time because I didn't want, didn't know what I was going to do with it because I didn't want to give it to somebody else. <laughs> so, I love that. Um, so anyway, that, so, so, you know, I guess that's what we're calling, we're calling magic. The word magic could be defined. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has a different idea of what that means. I love the idea of like taking the traditions and then also evolving them and making them your own. Yeah, because they're alive. They're dynamic. There's no other way to do it. I love that idea that they're alive. I mean, it's so true. And so these traditions are still strong in in southern Italy. People still do these. They and, and that's part of they're they're losing it with globalization and but so I've also learned from people there and every every family has their own way of doing it um different you go to different villages and they have their people that do it that could be different from person to person yeah, I wish it got handed down to me. Well, you can still get it. That's true. Right. Just not directly. Well, well you can get it directly. So you can get it from, so that, so the thing, so that you're supposed to get it on either, the most common one I've heard is Christmas Eve. Yes, and then, that is then a potent There's day. a couple other dates you can get it. One is, this, so the basically the winter solstice and the summer solstice. Mm. And it, it was often passed down from either mother to daughter or mother to son. And depending on, um, I was recently in a village in Southern Italy where they were telling me um, that it goes, supposed to go from man to woman, from man to woman. So, um, and so, but you can get it if you, if you know somebody who has it, it doesn't have to be in your family line. Mm-hmm. It can just be somebody that's passing it on to you. I love the idea also of like getting it from books. So you mean learning? Yeah, learning from books. And what do so, you what do you like really mean when you say like passing it on? So there. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, right. That's a good question. So. In terms of the healing practice of curing the malok is what I'm talking about. Okay. That, that was passed from person to person on specific dates. Christmas Eve is the one that you hear of the most. Mm, and can you do it from like somebody who's passed? Mm, I don't know. 
That's not, <laughs> that's not the what I have been told. Told. I mean, but okay. Here's the thing, and this is this. Where did the first person get this? Right, like, where does magic live? And so at some point, some human created this ritual somewhere or, or, or a collection of them created this ritual. And where did they get it? They get it. They got it from the divine. They got it from or you, whatever your idea of the secret is. So it came out of the non-material world, if you want to call it that. So do I think it's possible for somebody to get, have it transmitted from an ancestor it makes sense to me that it is i'm gonna try it and (laughs) but the other part of that is i think that so this is so what i do i have seen happen is you start you start reaching and asking and inviting it and you don't know what synchronicities are going to come up that could potentially lead you to somebody that could actually transmit it to you in real time, in real life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should share, there's another good book and she explains, it's called Italian Folk Magic. Oh, I just bought that. Okay. She's got a great YouTube video on it, on, on the Malok. And can we that- define Malok for everybody? Who yes. might not know? So it's actually, it's Malocchio. M-A-L, male, which is bad. Occhio, which is eyes. Oki is eyes. So um, basically, it's the evil eye. Mm-hmm. And in, in my community, everybody said the Malok. Because they swallowed the vowel at the end. It's basically, and it's believed that, so what is it? It is a, to me, a deep under, a deep connected understanding of how humans energetically interact and affect each other in ways that are not necessarily observable, but are known through our, our senses, including our nervous system, our, our neuroception. So our autonomic nervous system can pick up on the energetic resonances. Like we know our heart field is like, I don't know how many feet around us, right? So it's like when, when we are in each other's presence, even through distance, like, like you and I are in each other's presence right now, that our our energies are are interacting and influencing each other and things are emerging from that and so to me the malocchio or the ideas around the evil eye which have been considered superstition or you know silly things that poor people do from poor countries or whatever are are perhaps perhaps that but to me, no, to me, it's a way that we acknowledge how we affect each other and not intentionally. And so the evil eye is a non-intentional, well, sometimes intentional, but usually 
non-intentional way that we may shade somebody else. And it's about often jealousy. So say I see, and, and babies are particularly susceptible to this, and I guess pregnant women, anybody who's weak is particularly susceptible to this. But it's like, if I look at you and I say, oh, that's a, that's a beautiful sweater that you're wearing, I'm, I could potentially be giving you the evil eye because I may be envious of you. Mm. And so when you, when you either want, when you want something that somebody else has for yourself, it, it takes something from them. Mm. And How do you give a compliment without doing that. Well, you either, you don't, <laughs> <laughs> this is the question. My, I, I actually have a friend who's, um, her, her culture, she's uh, Lebanese. She's of Lebanese descent. And, and her, they have the, a similar thing in their culture. And she says in Lebanon, if you tell somebody that, oh, I love your blouse, they'll actually take their shirt off and give it to you because it's just like, you just ruined it, you know? Like, <laughs> so, take this. I don't want it anymore. Right. Because <laughs> you just, you know, here, you might as well take it. Um, so... One of the ways that I was taught to do that is to just say like, oh, you got, oh, you got um, a new job or you, you know, oh, I, I, I hope more of that for you or that makes you, that just makes you even more beautiful. So I, there, you know, sort of cherishing that this really, really expressing how you can see the beauty in the person because of this thing that they have. Um, not seeing your lack because of it. Right. So that's one. The other one is that there was a, um, you know, one of the things that would be just, this is from Italian folk magic is to actually go. (laughs) Yes. Three times. So you make like a spitting noise three times. Um, you could bless yourself. I love that. So it's just like, you know, and we all do it. We all catch ourselves, right? So it's like you catch yourself like, oh man, I really like her or, you know, they're, you know, or I wish I had that or, you know, and then it's just like, oh, oh no, you know, like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, you know, or, or send them a blessing or something, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. So what do, so what was your, Nana's recipe to get rid of the malauk. So it was water, water, boiled water. You said, well, again, that so, but that was to pass it on. But this was when you're so she. (laughs) This was all being done while you're making pasta on a regular basis. It's just like the pot was the pasta water. And you, when you put your olive oil in the pasta water, it will tell you based on how it moves and in different practitioners are going to have different signals. But in my family, if it made, if it formed a big ball, Mm, then it was bad. Then it meant you had the evil eye and then you had a, then you, you, you threw it out. Mm. And there were special prayers that were said in the process. Do you know them? No, I do not. I don't know my family's special prayers. I know special prayers that were given to me by other people. And it's unfortunate. I never learned them. In fact, I, 
because um, my great grandmother did not, she passed it down to my, at least one of my great aunts. And I believe it stopped there. In fact, I just contacted her granddaughter who's older than me, but same generation and asked her if she knew and she did not. She knew the practice, saw it done, didn't know the secret family prayer. So unfortunately, um, so I have through my own work with my ancestors and my own meditations been told by my great grandmother what it was, which of course, so I use it. It was not directly transmitted to me in this life. Can you say what it was? No. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> secrets gotta stay secrets. Gotta stay secret. Um, um, but I've but there are there's many of them, and again, like I I think there there's one in Italian folk magic in that book. Oh, I also want to mention another good place. If you're not familiar with her, you might want to be is Gail Faith Edwards. No, who is she? She, oh, so she is, she's an herbalist, an elder herbalist and a Benedetta. So she's a practitioner of Benedicaria, Italian American. And she has an online course called Benedicaria. Ooh, very cool. Um, it's Blessed Maine Herbals. So what do you think about cooking as an act of folk magic? Oh, yeah, all the time. Are you? Do you love cooking? Is that something you do on the reg? How does it, like, incorporate with, like, your herbal practice, if it does? Yeah, it does. Um, in fact, when I first got into herbs, one of the first things I learned about was all of the medicinal properties of the herbs in my spice cupboard. I love that. And so my first teacher was like, you don't even have to buy anything. Just like dust off all that stuff in your cupboard. And it's all right there. And um, so I, one of the things I did for my, for my family was I just started adding because, you know, all right. So I, I, I grew up with a modern American diet. There was a lot of Italian meals, but otherwise it was like white bread and ketchup and my parents both worked. And so salt and pepper were our spices, you know, mm -hmm. and some Italian spices like basil and parsley and oregano mm -hmm. and, and garlic. Um, so I learned that, you know, there's just, first of all, all of those things have medicinal properties. So I started adding them into everything I cooked, which is a great way to get kids to eat herbs because they don't even know they're in there. I mean, you could put herbs in everything. You could put them in hamburgers. You can put them in meatloaf. You could put it in macaroni and cheese. You can put it in tomato soup. You open a can of tomato soup. You can put it in tomato soup. So... Do I like cooking? That, I like cooking when I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
And I love concocting. And I think that there's, you know, there's not a line for me between medicine making and cooking. It seems like the same thing for the most part to me. I prefer making herbal preparations as opposed to meals. Mm. Does so one like I, seem like more magical than the other? Um, I don't know if that's it. I think some of it is that I only have so much energy. And so if I'm going to make something, it's going to be like an herbal mess. <laughs> it's got more punch to it. Most of food. I, yeah. Um, again, it's hard to say. There's not a lot, there's a lot of crossover for me. And, you know, I mean, I think our food, you know, the, the making food is a sacred, making food is a sacred act. Mm -hmm. And this is, is medicine in and of itself. Totally. Chicken soup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Chicken soup. I mean, chicken soup is a, it can be, I put so much stuff in chicken soup. Nobody even knows what's in there. It's just like, I just <laughs> open up my herb cupboard. Just everything goes in there. So do you grow your own herbs? Yes. Many of them. What's it like when you started doing that? What was it like? Yeah, that was like an awkward question, but <laughs> but like, what was that? I don't know. I mean, I guess you haven't been doing it your whole life or maybe you have, but like once you started learning about all of this and then from that, like starting to grow your own herbs and then actually using the herbs that you grew, like, is there something like seeing something go from like seed to leaf to medicine? Well, I started out wild crafting. So I started out um, like foraging. I, I, I grew up with a garden and stuff. My, my, my we lived in a city, but my dad turned the whole backyard into a, into a garden. And then now I live on, in the country. And so we, I've always had a garden with some herbs like basil. <laughs> always got to have basil. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but when I started into herbalism, the first thing I did, the first thing I learned was the wild was, was other than the herbs in my spice cupboard was wild plants. And, and then I, you know, part of our vegetable garden, I just started adding sections of herbs and now, now there's hardly any vegetables. <laughs> now I, now I joined a CSA so I could grow more herbs and flowers and not waste my time with vegetables that I end up, like end up getting eaten by bugs. So it's hard to grow vegetables. It is. And the funny, the funny thing is that I do not have a green thumb and everybody thinks I, I know how to grow things. And, and especially like my house plants, like it's sad what Aww. happened. <laughs> and, and I literally, and I like people message me and they're like, what about this or that? And I'm like, you don't want to ask me because I, if it can't, 
if it can grow in my garden, it's tough because I am terrible. I'm a wild crafter. I love wild plants and that's, but I do grow, I, I do grow a lot of, a lot of herbs, um, now, and I've gotten a lot better at it and I start a lot of seeds. What's an herb you would suggest everyone grow in their garden? Basil. (laughs) And why? Um, It's just, it has so many medicinal properties and it's easy to grow. Um, Nettles, which is a wild plant. You'll never die if you have nettles in your backyard. Like you'll never starve to death. What does nettles do? It is high in nutrients. It's high in magnesium, high in calcium. Mm. Uh, It is somewhat astringent. So it can be a little bit drying, but tones tissues of the kidneys, bladder, uterus. Um, It desensitizes. It's one of the herbs that I used for my allergies and asthma. It desensitizes your mucous membranes to foreign proteins, which a pollen, like a seasonal hay fever allergy, is when a foreign protein gets into your body, your sinuses, and then your body mounts an immune response to them. And so nettles desensitizes that, your, your immune system to it. So do I would need, say... Do you need to have it like dried out to be able to use it? Or can you yeah. just like pick it? And what does it look like? I'm like a total noob. Well, it, <laughs> does it, it just look like a leaf? Or like I picked your nettle, like a spiky thing. It is a spiky thing, but you don't really see the spikes in it. And that's why it stings people because you don't see it. Um, and you cannot, you don't want to eat it raw. You don't want to just pick a leaf because it will burn your throat. Because mm. <laughs> it's So stinging nettles is the thing that a lot of people get into and it stings them and they don't see it. Um, it's got a dark green leaf. It's a perennial. It grows wild. And I've never actually had to start it from seed or anything like that because I have just lots of wild patches. You often find it in farmer's fields where there's manure, like cow fields and, and farmers just can't understand why you're going out in their backyard to collect nettles. If you ask. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's one that I think is easy to grow and, I just, the easiest way to grow it is just, just to transplant it. So you just like rip it up out of the ground and then. Well, I wouldn't rip it. I would probably dig it carefully. Like take a. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm not an herbalist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, depending on where you are here in the Northeast. So I'm in, in New York state. It's just everywhere. And if you don't have it, you can probably find somebody that does. Okay, so dig it carefully from the roots and transplant it. Transplant it. And, and then you, you pick it off, and how do you, like, defang it? Oh, so though there's different ways to use it. So, yes, you can dry it. So you cut it and dry it. And, and then that, get, that gets rid of, like, the sharpness? Yes. 
you can eat nettles cooked. Okay. So, what do so you people, cook it with? Um, it's like a green. So garlic. You can do, That's what I put every, everything with. You could cook it with garlic. I You can mix it in with your scrambled eggs. You can put it in your soups and stews. There's a, um, I make a nettle soup where you, you mm. grind it up with like some leeks and potatoes and. That sounds delish. Yeah. What does it so, taste like? Is it like bitter? Um, no, it tastes green. Mm, okay. <laughs> It's kind of, kind of, kind of got like a, a, a it tastes like chlorophyll. Mm, sounds healthy. It is healthy. It's wicked healthy. I love that. You always need more magnesium. Yeah. It's like one of our biggest deficiencies, modern people's biggest deficiencies. Do you dream a lot? Speaking of magnesium. I dream all the time. Do you I've really? Heard- like weird dreams? Every dream, the whole spectrum. Yeah. Do you feel like you get like messages in your dreams? All the time. Have you like followed the dreams and then like weird stuff happens? All the time. Have you ever like dreamed of plants? All the time. Oh my God. (laughs) Even, even, even I dream of plants for my clients. Whoa, that is so cool. Um, and yeah, I, I follow them, you know, there's always a a level of interpretation depending on how the dream comes through, whether it's telling me go get this plant or whether it's telling me something else, but because plants are some, can be symbolic as well. But I always, whenever I, so when I see my clients, I usually will not recommend anything right sitting with, so I'll sit with them. Sometimes it's on Zoom or whatever. Sometimes it's in person. And I'll say, you know, I need three to five days to put together your protocol. And a lot of times during that time, I will have a dream that tells me something that they need. And, and the clients, and I do this and for myself too, you know, I'll, I'll, if I, I, I've practiced enough where I'll ask a dream so there's a tradition in Italian folk magic and um, Italian ancestral healing of what is called dream incubation oh yes and all over southern Italy are the ruins remains of Asclepian dream temples that were I didn't know they were in Italy. I thought they were only in Greece. No, they're in Italy too. And they were brought there by the the Greeks. Wow. Yeah. We were um my past trip to Italy, we we were in a we visited the site of uh an Asclepian dream temple at um what's called Askea, and I'm not sure if that's the new, the new word or not. Velia. It was the city of Velia, and um, it's in the province of Salerno. And the Greek Parmenides started this, was part of the settlement there, and it was a healing center with 
dream temples dedicated to both Asclepius and Persephone. And these were places where people came to be healed and they were healed through a variety of means, but one of the major parts of it was what they called dream incubation, where there would be a ritual process that would lead them into a chamber, basically, where they would sleep and ask for a dream. And I just shared this book um, called In the Dark Places of Wisdom Ooh. by Peter Kingsley. And he, he talks about this particular dream temple in Velia, which I ended up at by purely coincidence. And um, myself and my daughter ended up visiting the site. Coincidence or not coincidence. Wow. And it's so interesting because I believe they also did like herbal tinctures and stuff before they started to incubate, right? Like Um, a week of like preparing their body. Yes. Cleansing, purification. And then, and then there would be also often herbs used after. So a lot of times the dream would say, do this or that or the other thing. And then, and then there were healers, practitioners, there priests and priestesses, what have you, that would either interpret the dream. Sometimes the person could be healed right in the dream. Why Persephone? Do you have any idea? Um, no, and I don't know if he explains it. I mean, she was one of the predominant deities of the time. So I'm guessing that's why, you know, her connection to the underworld, perhaps. I don't know. Do you feel like dreams in the underworld kind of like have a link? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, what what are we defining as the underworld? Right. Uh, the mythical, but let's, so let's say we're talking about, so the idea of the underworld in mythology, in Greek mythology and Roman mythology contained everything including heaven and hell. So there were different places in the underworld where people could end up. So it wasn't necessarily, we have this idea of the underworld as being like hell, which we have an idea of what hell is as well, but as being um, someplace where you don't want to be, and, and maybe it is, but in terms of Greek mythology, the underworld. So one of the people that would take people into the underworld was the Sibyl of Kume. The oracles that were all over Greece and Italy and other places in the Mediterranean as well, including North Africa and Southwest Asia, Turkey, Lebanon, all those places had these oracles that were believed to go into the underworld, connect with the divine, and come back with prophecies. And actually, the Sibyl of Kume, in the story written by Virgil, 
who was a Roman poet, took somebody into the underworld and because he wanted to see his father, it was um, the name of the story is the Aenid, A-E-N-E-I-D, probably not spelling it right. Um, and in there were lots of different places where the soul could end up. Mm. It makes me think about like when they talk about like you enter the underworld and then you have to like go on the little boat and that's why they do the coins. So you have enough money to like get where you need to go. You have to pay the ferryman. And I love the idea that it's like different locations. Like you might not just be going to like one place. Right. Depends on your what you know, what your the condition of your your karma and then, and then, and then there's a whole bunch of people who can't get on the ferry because they weren't buried properly. And that's why maybe there's like ghosts, like they're lingering. Yeah, they're lingering. And so there's a whole practice in Italian folk magic of helping to bury the dead. So it's thought that if you, if you didn't, if you didn't have a proper burial, you couldn't get into anywhere else. What's considered a proper burial? Well, I think it depends on the culture, but just acknowledging the person and, and doing whatever rituals. So in Southern Italy, it would be basically Catholic. <clears throat> and before that, it would be whatever the pagan Practice also burying the dead, you know? So it's like, I think. Some sort of ceremony. Some sort of ceremony that acknowledges, honors, and actualizes and helps facilitate the transition from one life to the other. I feel like transitions are so important. Yeah, and they're dangerous. Right. Tell me more about that statement. (laughs) Well, there, it's a, anytime it's like shifting your weight. Right. There's always that potential. There's an off balance. There's a potential. And so a lot of indigenous to wherever peoples understood that. And that's where a lot of our rites of passage came up so that the culture could consciously conduct and hold a container for specific life-changing traditions in a way that would bring out the best possible outcome. Wow. I love that idea. It makes me think of like marriages, like marriage ceremonies. Right. Or even like a new year or like ending a decade. It's like we have so many rituals around that. Yeah. Wow. And I feel like people can maybe create their own rituals if they don't know. Yes, I think we have to. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of loops back around to like what you were asking. It's like, well, we're, well, we've been so disconnected. Like, how do you even begin? And, you know, well, it all had to begin somewhere. Right. 
and, and, and it's, it's still beginning now and we're it, right? We're beginning it. So you have your dream practice. You have your herbal practice. Mm-hmm. You have your like traditions that have been passed down. Is there anything else you do to like connect with spirit? Um, I mean, I spend a great deal of time in, I hate saying this word, nature. Because <laughs> everything's oh. nature, right? <laughs> no, it's just like nature. I don't know. It's just like, so like nature. <laughs> I spend all my time out in nature. Um, I spend a lot of time in I guess you could call it what you could call like wild places. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really where I connect. Mm -hmm. I love that. I agree. So I think Mm -hmm. my being in place, being really like really connecting to place. I feel like that's a good tip for people to like get out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and even if it's just like sitting by a tree or just starting to notice things like just, um, Oh, one practice I I think is really great is going outside at night because, you know, it's like, especially here in the winter, it's like, you know, sometimes I'll be like, it gets dark here at five. And so then I'm like, you know, without, you know, our lights on and, and then I'll think, ah, I don't even know what's going on out there. So sometimes I just go out and put my jacket on and just go out and be like, check out the stars. And I have my sky guide, um, app. Those are awesome. Mm -hmm. And you just, it, totally locates you and then it can tell you what constellations are what and so I just like keep track of so no matter where you are well it might be hard in a big city if you if there if you can't see the stars I know sometimes the lights are too bright but you can usually see the moon um yeah do you do a lot of like moon magic um or any practices with the moon like just like um, paying attention to it and seeing like what sign it's in or. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I keep track of the moon daily where the moon is. And then I've had practices that come and go with the moon. Um, I have had a practice of doing ancestral journeying with flower essences on both the full and the new moon. That's cool. So um, I was doing this with a friend um, we, for, for about a year and a half. We were getting together in person and then she moved and then we were getting together through like FaceTime and in, in doing um, journeys um, and sometimes saunas. We have a sauna. So sometimes we'll sauna. So um, and then now that we've, we've sort of stepped away from that practice for a little while. And maybe we'll get back to it. Um, so in terms of other things, you know, I do definitely like new moon. I'll, um, 
new moon i'll intentionally like maybe like redo an altar or go through and like change like i have different in lo- different locations i have salt that i leave out mm. and i'll change my salt um or if i'm gonna start a project i'll i'll arrange it to different moon phases mm-hmm. what do you do on the full moon um, well, the full moon is a good time to release something. So it's like, right? It's like that. The moon is full. The full moon is a time when there's light. So you think about the full moon. There's t- it's when the, the darkness is illuminated. Mm-hmm. So it's a good time to like reveal or take chances. So it's like you want to take, you want to take your chances when the moon is full, not when it's dark, because then your, your outcome is going to be most likely to be, to be good. And I'm speaking really metaphorically here. Um, but literally as well, I feel like the energies of the full moon offer us light into things that we may not be, may not otherwise be able to see. And in that there's a safety. Right. And you also talked about, like, it made me think about the transitions thing. With then, it's like you're able to, like, see a little bit more, so then it's a little less dangerous. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So there's, a, there's, so, so there's a story told by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Are you familiar with her? Yes, the woman who runs with the wolves. Yes. And she tells a story called The Moon Mother. And I don't know where this is available or not, but I think you could, it might even be on YouTube. It's a great story. And, and just the basics of the story are this village of people who would only cross this particular area. I think it was a river or moat when the moon was full. Mm. And, but this one person, of course, decided they were going to go out when the moon was dark and they ended up in all kinds of trouble. And, you know, the lesson was like, like, wait until the moon is full. So you can, so that, that you're so, and so for me in my, in my herbal or my herbal practice and in my own healing practice, when we take on like, like one of the big ones for me is always addictions. Mm. So when people want to like say somebody, you know, wants to quit smoking, but, you know, they just went through a divorce or they're dealing with some other chronic illness or, you know, they're caretaking, you know, their car broke down, like all these horrible things are happening in their life. And then they say, and they want to change their diet and they want to start an herbal program and blah, blah, blah. it's like, they want to eat differently, cook differently, they're moving, whatever. And they want to quit smoking. And it's like, uh-uh, not right now. Like, <laughs> like, do you want to fail or what? Because if you, if you, you wait until you're stable. Right. Like one transition at a time. Exactly. And so to me, that's like, wait until the moon is full. Wait until, wait until all of the conditions are, which, you know, you could wait. It doesn't mean, you know, wait until everything's perfect, but it means like, you know, wait until get through some of these things, get, get some things in order during the dark phase, this is the dark phase. Wait until you've gone through this phase. And then once you feel solid and once you have some other things in place, then try to quit smoking. 
Right. It makes me think about, like, how, like, the moons are linked from, like, their opposite sign. So, like, you could go through, like, a whole phase within, like, six months. Right. And, like, not just looking at, like, monthly cycles, but then looking at, like, bigger cycles to get through transitions. Right. Ooh, that's such a good tip. Let the odds be in your favor. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless it's, like, you're saying to, like, you know, maybe part of your healing is that you need to go into the dark (laughs) when things are when things are stacked against you. <laughs> we all have to learn differently. We all have to learn differently. Oh, this was so much fun. Yeah. Ah, did I squeeze you of all of your juice? Did we oh, talk about everything? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm like a I'm a coffee shop talker. I could sit I could sit with and talk all day about stuff. Is there anything else that, like, you have on your mind? Um, I don't think so. We definitely did cover a lot of the bases. So you're do, you do, um, you're a, tar- are you a tarot reader? Yes, I read tarot. I love yeah. tarot. I'm also a hairstylist. Oh, oh. Which is fun. I do a lot of bridal hair, speaking okay. of like transitions for people. Oh, yeah. That's so important. It is. It's fun. The adornment, the adornment and the regalia of transitions is yes. important. I think I try and make it easier for them and more grounded. Yeah. Rather than them freaking out. Right. Because <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've been doing a lot of dream work. So like dream healing, like you were talking about. Um, and that's been like, that has totally changed my life just within like the past six months, I would say. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. like how quickly it works. When you start listening. Yeah, because it's right. It's been waiting for you all this time, basically. Totally. Yeah. And I don't know how I like pushed it away for so long, but it is like revealing itself to me. And and again, I think that's sort of like that same thing of like, as soon as you make the invitation. Right. It just all shows up. Yeah, I've been starting to get into like a little stuff with like ceremonies, which feels really good. Like leaving, like I've never really like left things out for my ancestors, but like the feeling of doing it for the first time, like it was amazing. And it's such a simple action, but I feel like the connection that it made was so rich beyond what I thought that like simple action would result in. It's amazing. And I think it's one of those things that just, I don't know how to explain it, but the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Totally. That like ripple effect. And it's just like the more, the more ceremony and ritual 
the more magic. Yes. And once you start working with your ancestors, it's, it's just, oh, another good book, Honoring Your Ancestors. Have you heard of that one? No, tell me. Very good book by um, Mallory Vadois. She's an Italian-American. Um, this is so perfect. I got a gift card for my birthday for Amazon, so I'm going to like go and order all of these books. I'm so excited. That one's very good. And it's like, this one is so, what I like about it is it's like, it's full of magic, but it's clear. It's like clear and grounded. I love a grounded information book. So it's, it's accessible. It's just like, she made it. So it just, it's just like, it, it opens up the possibilities. Are there any herbal books that you would recommend to people? that you love yeah um oh well it depends on what you're what you mean by herbal I mean it very loosely <laughs> so the one book that I love and that I've got a lot of my and this is not really like a how-to herbal um but it's called a lot of my students have said oh I'm so glad I found this book it's called the herbal lore of wise women and wart hunters by mm. wolf, wolf, wolf storrel Ooh. So what kind of book of his book is it? Um, it's got, it's like goes from the roots of herbalism. He gets into astrology, mm. um, various plants, um, magic, herbs and cooking and beauty, raising herbs in the garden, vegetables as medicines and wild foods. Um, for like, for like, just straight like herbals, you know, Rosemary Gladstar's books are the family herbal and they're just great for anybody, regardless of level of skill or practice. Or if you know nothing about herbs, you can pick up her books and, and learn stuff. So I feel like astrology and herbalism kind of go hand in hand. I never really thought about that, but I guess like the changing of the seasons affects what's growing. Therefore, yeah, like what you would use. All plants have a planetary ruler. Wow, really? What does Saturn rule? Um, well, Solomon seal. Um plants that affect your joints right so you would think about like what the planet rolls so like so saturn energetically is like dry so saturn is like kind of like dry um saturn is structure so any anything that affects the structure of the body which like solomon seal affects the structure of the body because mm. it works on the joints and the bones so anything so you could put nettles in there as oh nettles one of the other things nettles is it um helps with connective tissue helps support connective tissue um so there's this thing with astroherbology where with planetary rulers where a planet or a plant could either be what they call um sympathetic to the planet so it has similar energetic qualities so like 
the energetic quality of Saturn would be like dry and cold. Mm-hmm. So then you would say a plant that is sympathetic, sympathetically ruled by Saturn is a plant that has those qualities. So then Solomon seal wouldn't fall in there because Solomon seal is moistening. So you would take more of a, uh, let's see what's dry, drying and cold dandelion root. Um, <clears throat> then the other way that it's done is what they call antipathetic, which I'm not sure if I'm saying right, but basically the opposite of sympathetic, which would be the plant cures or treats or is the opposite of the energy of Saturn. So if Saturn's energy is cold and dry, then you would want a warming, moistening plant to counteract. Ooh, do you do that for yourself? Like when you're having a hard transit, you'll like take, I don't know, I guess the, what was that last last word that you used? (laughs) Antimagetic. Antipathetic. Antipathetic. Um, yeah, a, a lot of what I use for transits, I use flower is flower essences. And then the flowers are rolled by different planets. Mm. Is there and, any like you would recommend for this like Capricorn season if people are like having a hard time? Yeah, anything with so Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. And so so then you're thinking like it's. So that can bring with heavy Capricorn is intense and very, um, um, can be very rigid. Yes. And, and powerful in that Capricorn really manifests and, mm-hmm. and they do it well and they don't miss anything but it is slow and requires patience and you're not going to rush it. And so some of it is being patient and some of it is softening. So, Oh, like the one that's coming to my mind right now. And in fact, that it's winter especially is, and I actually just posted about it on, Instagram, um, is mallow root infusions, cold infusions. And, um, just to give credit to, um, milk and honey herbs, um, Jade Alessandro did a, did a post about making cold marshmallow infusions. Is that really marshmallow? It's marshmallow root. It's a plant. Okay. It's not like a marshmallow. No, it's not like a marshmallow. (laughs) Although, I, they you can make marshmallow like a form of marshmallows out of it. I've never done it, but I, I had a friend who tried it. Um, and um, so it's 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 mallow. I have the root. Some people use the leaf, but it's very mucilaginous. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of like gooey. Mm-hmm. And this time of year is here. Like in my house, for instance, we have a wood stove. Mm-hmm. And the doors are always shut because it's cold out. And so you get really dry. Totally. And that, that's like a Capricornian thing, Saturnian thing. So 
marshmallow is cool, is moistening. So kind of like softens, like the respiratory tract in particular is what I'm talking about here. So would you just eat like a spoonful? No, you take, um, and like I said, Jade, there is an Instagram post about it. Um, but you, you just take like cold water. So the thing with marshmallow root is cold infusion works really well with this type of plant because it is. Hello. Hello. Okay. Let me just, I was just going on to my email to get, I don't know what happened. I guess something happened with the internet. The internet gods. Marshmallow. So, um, candy jar. I just took like a handful of marshmallow root, put it in the jar, poured cold water over it, put a lid on it. And it's just, and I've been shaking it. I actually did it for my husband because he's, his sinuses are really dry. Oh, that's such a good tip. Yeah. I love that. Oh my God. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for connecting and. Oh my God. You're a wealth of information. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Sure, therootcircle.com. And if they want to like book a consult with you, can you tell everyone like what you offer? Sure. So um, I do herbal consults. Um, I do astrology readings. Um, those are the two primary. And I do do some ancestral um, like reclamation sessions with people usually using plants and flower essences very cool um and then i do flower essence consultations so cool oh i love that thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me it's fun to meet you Wasn't that so much fun? Don't you love Elisa? Definitely check her out on Insta at The Root Circle. And don't forget to check out her podcast, Wild Under Root. Definitely a must listen. Um, Connect with me on Instagram, Blind Love Radio. I changed it from Blind Love Tarot to Blind Love Radio because I am just obsessed with this show and obsessed with this whole community that I'm trying to build. So yeah, Blind Love Radio across the board, peoples. Find me there. Connect with me. Say hi. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me if you have a guest you want to hear from. 
Um, if you have any ideas for the show, I would love to hear what you're vibing with, what you want more of, what you want less of, um, in a nice way, (laughs) be nice. (laughs) Um, but I hope you guys are enjoying these. I feel like I'm doing better at releasing them every week instead of every other week. So I hope you guys have been liking that. And liking these amazing guests that we've had on. And I hope that you guys are having a not too terrible Mercury Retrograde. Or an amazing Mercury Retrograde. Um, I've been doing like oddly a lot of diving into like hormone. Like health. And really figuring out like how the endocrine system works. Like, such an unsexy topic, but it, like, rules your whole sexiness, which is very interesting. Um, But, yeah, so random, but not really random because I found out that Neptune has a lot to do with your your hormones. I can't talk. (laughs) I'm getting off now. I can't talk. Um, But that's it, guys. I love you a lot. I'm just rambling anyways. Um, if you have five seconds, tap five stars if you love me and I'll see you next week. Mm.